David Bacher, good to have you in studio this month to talk about the Korean Report. Thank you, Alex. Always nice being here. So do you come up to Johannesburg often? Probably pre-COVID every second week. So it's been a bit different over these strange times, but uh, I'm back in full swing. So expect to see more of me. It feels like that, doesn't it? That the COVID is now behind us. But what about the markets? Korean Report is great because you go through everything that, that could open and shut on the investment markets, give us performance reports going back uh, over periods. Are you seeing that the COVID effect perhaps is now out of the system? Certainly. I, I think touching on the Korean report, I mean, uh, thank you for that compliment. What we try and do there is try and take what's quite a complex investment world and make it uh, concise and to the point. And linking that to COVID, I think that's what people want. People want you know, highlights, information quickly We're in a new era. And I think that's what speaks of the Korean report and why it's been received so, so positively. So what's the big highlight of the past month, the month of March? We saw January, February horrible for investment markets in the US in particular. March, a lot of an improvement there. But how about here in South Africa? I think for South African investors, it's been another very good month. Uh, what stood out for, for us at Korean was certainly how well South African asset classes have done. If you look at the first three months of this year, South African equities have outperformed global equities by about 25% or just short of that number. That's significant. It's material. Um, and obviously it benefits uh, investors. So, and, and bonds aren't too dissimilar. Significant outperformance of South African bonds relative to, to global bonds. So you know, South Africa, you could say, has been in the sweet spot of, of the world, which is nice to say for a change. David, I know you've been to the Business News Conference, but the last conference, BNC3, because we're coming in five months' time, we'll be at number four. Um, there was a guy there, a JP, who actually ended up playing golf with through our random draw. And he gave a million rand to find out who is going to be, or invest in a million rand, who's better, Magnus Haystack with his offshore fixation or Pit Fulion who focuses internally. They've each got half a million rand. I think we're going we're gonna to give them another three months before we see how they're doing. But from what you've just said now, Pitt must be way ahead. I would presume so. Um, I think, you know, it also always depends on your starting point. Um, but, you know, when that uh, competition came out uh, at Corian, we took a little bit of an internal vote and we were all in Pete's camp, to be, to be frank. We thought uh, valuations of offshore markets were very, very high. South Africa was a swear word, but that was reflected in the prices. We were at, a, at what our, our view was a trough, um, and a lot of green shoots were starting to, to emerge. So at Corian, we've actually been positively positioned for South African rebound. Um, a lot of the you know, rhetoric at that point in time of get your money offshore, but the RAND was at 16 17%, and our all-share index was at a lot lower levels. So in the context of what you price, Paying for for future earnings, we thought that South Africa was a very compelling uh, investment proposition. So yeah, you make that point. I mean, the rand about sixteen to the US dollar. Now we're in the fourteens, okay. so it's been quite an appreciation. We've also seen last week uh, that SARS's collections are just way higher than was anticipated. Almost four hundred billion rands better. So I guess South Africa uh, is well positioned for the craziness that's happening in the world right now. It's unbelievable. Uh, uh, we didn't predict the war, but if you think about the benefits of of the war relative to other geographical regions, obviously wars never a benefit. But we are actually in a quite a sweet spot. If you think of all the exports of South Africa, those are the exports of Ukraine and, and Russia, and 
the commodity prices have gone up, bigger tax collections. Um, so relative to the rest of the world, I would say South Africa and probably Brazil are best positioned to actually, as an investment destination, given what's going on around the world. David, just explain that. If the RAND appreciates uh, South African fixed interest uh, instruments, in other words, bonds, as you mentioned earlier, they would also get, or their pricing, as long as the, the interest rates don't, don't go out of kilter, their pricing in global terms would also appreciate. Is that the way it works? Correct. You know, our analysis shows there's, there's quite a strong uh, correlation between um, RAND strength and bond appreciation. When investors are thinking that the currency, which is a, a big component of the, their returns, going to appreciate, then they, you know, they're not only going to get the benefit of the coupon or the interest, but they're also going to get the currency appreciation. So, you know, that's the reason why strong RAND, strong bonds, strong financial equity shares, stronger SA incorporated equities. So what funds are excelling? Pitfull Yun's funds, I'm sure, have done very well, but yeah. what others? So, you know, it was almost probably a year and a half ago when I looked at a financial article, and it wasn't just in this journal, it was in many journals, and the title was more or less, Is Value Investing Dead? And, you know, at Corin, we don't believe investing is a fast fashion. Uh, it's not a theme. You don't go you know, on what was winning or, or outperforming over the last five to 10 years. You take a long-term view, and investments are long-term means 20, 30, 50 years, and see what investment strategies work over time. So although value underperforms significantly um, for a decade, if you look at the Corian report and see which funds are outperforming, it's pretty much all the value funds that are at the top of the the chart. So those investment managers, and hopefully, which are uh, unfortunately doubt, those clients who stick to the investment strategy and, and took a longer term view, uh, you know, have benefited significantly over the last two years. That's an interesting point. Uh, I, I keep writing in the uh, business premium newsletter to people to say, look, investing is a long term game. Don't get panicked by these short term bumps. In fact, we look at minimum of five years, a five-year project, but you're saying it, it should actually be even longer than that. If you look at a person's investment horizon, the majority of people are saving for retirement. That's a 20, 30, and, you know, when you start 45-year period. So, you know, it's very hard to time the markets. Um, I do think, you know, at times our industry sells what is easier to sell. They sell into fear, they sell into panic. Um, and the man on the street, you know, looks at the last three years, last year, what his friends' uh, investment returns have done and think that's going to play out in the future. And, you know, I think that's very often to the detriment of the end consumer. The bigger houses seem to be struggling a little bit. Why is that? So let me first answer that question by saying South Africa is blessed with some very gifted, skilled asset managers at Corian, we call them the, we used to call them the CIA, Coronation, Investec, Alan Gray. Um, we have to change that because Investec changed their name. But, you know, very smart teams, great businesses. But I think in the South African context, you know, our market is a lot smaller than it used to be. There's less shares, it's less illiquid. And you have big houses chasing the same top 40 shares. Um, it's very hard for them to go outside the top 40 shares. Liquidity is a major constraint. Now, what's driving the markets over the last two years, you know, has predominantly been small caps, mid caps, 
and they can't really go and hunt in that, that, that area of the market, or they can, but it's a lot more difficult. And I think you're starting to see that in terms of their returns, where you know the, the, the asset management firms, the smaller firms, are really outperforming them at, over the last year to two years. I was surprised when we did the numbers on the individual stocks and saw that the worst performing share on all on the JSE in the first three months was Process, 38% loss. Now, if you're a big asset management firm, because Process is such a big part of the, uh, of the index, I guess you've got to have a chunk of those. Did the big guys, uh, were they unable to lighten it? Whereas I suppose if you're more nimble, you, you might have been able to, to do so. I think, you know, I, I can't speak for the whole industry, but, you know, you have a, a share that is NASPAS plus process, let's say 8 to 10% of the, the all share index. For a big house not to have any of that share is a major call and a major relative bet um, for their performance. So no doubt the overwhelming majority of big houses would have it because it's a big bet and because it covers a large part of the market. And if they don't have it, where do they invest the remaining 8%? So, yes, certainly I think there's probably some managers, and I do know of a few large asset managers who still believe in the process NASPAS um, valuation, so they're probably there for their own investment merits. But there are also some who I don't think can have an alternative because it's just such a big share in the market. And that would obviously have affected them as well. So I suppose more of an anchor. We talk about Warren Buffett talks about size being an anchor to growth uh, in a South African context because of the, the, the big weighting of process and nice pairs. It's a significant anchor if it underperforms like it did. Correct, correct. I think it, it, if you had to make two calls, if you were going to outperform your peers, what did you need to do? You needed to avoid NASPAS and process. And you probably need to be overweight, small, and mid caps in the South African market. You know, I'm making it, I'm summarising it a lot, but I think those are the two big calls because of the influence of the asset managers to to process and to 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 large caps. I think I looked at a, a research report last month, and I would say 75% of the industry had you know four four percent or greater exposure to NASPAS and process. So that, that does uh, impact your performance a lot, particularly in this quarter. Um, what about the change in the offshore limits for pension funds, this Regulation 28, which now seems to be a little bit, uh, uh, well, not a little bit, significantly more uh, freedom for, the in, for funds to invest offshore? Correct. Significant, I think, is the word. If you, you know, prior to, to a month ago, you were only allowed to invest 30% of a retirement fund offshore. That increase has gone to 45%, so a 15% increase is significant. What it means for investors is greater diversification. You're not exposed to the South African risk um, as much as you were. You have access to shares, industries, geographical regions that that you wouldn't have uh, over the last 20 years. Um, which we think over the long term will result in better risk-adjusted returns for, for, for clients. Well, we know that offshore markets have done a heck of a lot better than South African markets, but I suppose overlay the fact that many stocks are delisting on the JSC and you really do, if you're in equities, you, you really do need that, that greater selection. Have they moved already? Have the funds taken full advantage of the additional allowance? I think a lot of quantitative analysts are doing a lot of numbers trying to see you know, what's the right strategic asset allocation. 
and to move, let's say, a retirement fund from an asset allocation of of 30% offshore to, to 45% takes time. Um, so I expect it will increase. I do, and I am aware of some houses that have you know, pushed the button already, but the majority of investment houses are, are taking a staged approach. And I would believe, you know, over the next year, they will build from what we see in the average in the industry, about 28% to about 36, 37%. And it's a good time to do it with the RAND so strong, relatively speaking. Correct. Well, RAND is notoriously difficult to predict, but, you know, that's our view. Certainly, RAND strength, we're pretty much uh, at levels that we think is appropriate to take your money offshore. And how has the, the, the strengthening of the RAND affected performances, and particularly when you look at March? So, last if you look at March, uh, Rand was up uh, just short of four percent. Which shares outperformed? Financial ind- ind- index was up about twelve percent. Bonds were relatively strong, um, and the laggards were resources. So, if you got your Rand call over the right over last month, you know you pretty much knew what was going to outperform. So, strong Rand, strong financials, interest rate sensitive shares, and those managers that were exposed did really well. How, when we look ahead now to uh, the second quarter of the year, because we've now had our first three months, it's incredible how quickly it's gone. Okay. Look at, uh, ahead to the second three months of the year, presuming or assuming that commodity prices stay strong, uh, assuming that Putin doesn't pull out of Ukraine in a hurry. How would you position a portfolio if you were able to do it right now? Because then, then we can have a look back at, the way institutions are actually positioning themselves. I think we actually discussed this at our uh, morning investment meeting at Current. So we think emerging markets uh, is a place to to invest going forward. Uh, We still think the majority of developed markets are at high valuations. Emerging markets have come off a lot more. They've underperformed over the last five years. And generally speaking, if you invest in emerging markets, you expect a higher equity risk rep- uh, premium. You expect a high return over the lo- over the longer period. That hasn't happened recently, so you know I think most of those emerging markets will benefit from stronger commodity prices, which we we, we see, and also they've come a lot so on depressed valuations. So if you're asking us where we're tilting our our client's port- assets, it's more from developed market equities into emerging market equities. And the resources run, it's been so interesting to watch this because it's been going for a long time now and every man and his dog who follows resources has been calling it lower and lower and they keep the prices keep going up, thank goodness, from a yeah. South African perspective. Uh, but how are you guys reading that? We still think that, um, you know, given where spot prices are of majority of resources, the valuations of the shares are still quite compelling, so we'll be overweight resources, um, not as much as we, we thought previously. Um, we do expect a softening of, of a lot of commodity prices um, over time, but given the valuations, you know, they can soften quite a lot more um, and still result in, in, in strong investment cases for many of the resource com- companies. It's interesting also if the RAND were to... Uh, regress in any degree that those resources prices, uh, resource share prices would actually do have to do a lot better. Correct. I mean, when you're buying resources, you probably you, you, you have to get three decisions. If you can get all three decisions right, you make a lot of money. The currency, um, the commodity price, and your starting valuation. 
And sometimes your starting valuation with resources is the least important because it's such a gearing in terms of the RAND commodity price on the revenue line of, of resource companies. If you take those three, your starting valuation, as you're saying, it's, it's certainly not overvalued. Correct. The RAND is pretty strong by um, recent standards. So Correct. So there's a likelihood of a, of a weakening there. And the commodity prices look like they might be stronger for longer. So I, I can see the yeah. logic. Yeah. So I, I, I would say even if they're not stronger where they are, if they just keep at the current value, uh, current commodity prices, then I think you know, you've got a, enough of a, a wind to behind you to, to outperform. Mm-hmm.